Scripture reading this morning will be in Luke chapter 24. If we could all please stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Father, we pray that you would uh, add your blessing to the reading of your word, give us clarity and insight in scripture today. And we pray, God, that each one of us would uh, have our faith in the resurrection bolstered this morning uh, as we celebrate this Easter, the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, we finally made it. Luke chapter 24, the very last chapter of Luke's gospel. And uh, before we look at the text for this morning, I want to go all the way back to the very first chapter of Luke and remind you of how the book began. I'm going to read this, uh, by the way, in the NLT, just because it's smoother English, it'll require a little less explanation. Uh, this is how Luke begins his book. Remember, the whole thing is written to someone named Theophilus, uh, presumably a friend of Luke. And uh, in these first four verses, Luke explains to Theophilus his reasons for writing about the events of Jesus' life. Uh, verse 1 of Luke 1 says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Uh, this is the purpose of Luke in writing this book. His friend Theophilus had heard about this man named Jesus from Nazareth. He no doubt had heard about uh, the parables, the miracles that Jesus performed throughout Israel. Uh, maybe he's heard that Jesus was arrested and crucified and that some of his followers are claiming that he's been uh, raised back to life. And so Luke decides to write to Theophilus and just lay out the whole story, tell him exactly what happened from beginning to end. And he does this, as verse 4 says, so that he can be certain of the truth of everything you've been hearing. He wants Theophilus to know this is all accurate. This really did happen exactly as you've heard. Uh, and Luke is the perfect guy to write about this. He's done his homework. He's read written accounts of the life of Jesus. He's talked to eyewitnesses who were there, who saw these things taking place. And so uh, Luke writes this whole book to convince Theophilus and to convince us today 
that this is all accurate and factual information. And so as we read the book of Luke from beginning to end, uh, we need to keep in mind that this is the purpose, is to convince us and to reassure us that these things are accurate. So fast forward now to chapter 24. Uh, Now we're at the end of the book of Luke. Uh, We've seen Jesus' ministry, how he's healed people, how he's fed thousands. We've studied carefully the teachings of Jesus, the example that he set for us. And last week we talked about the death of Jesus, how he was tortured and killed on a cross, bearing the sins of the world. And when we get to chapter 24, Luke tells us now about the resurrection. And so as we read this account of the very first Easter Sunday, uh, just remember Luke wants us to have certainty that Jesus really did, in fact, rise from the dead. And so in this chapter 24, he gives us four proofs of the resurrection of Jesus that we're going to see. First of all, the empty tomb. Verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. Remember, back at the end of the previous chapter, uh, some women who had come to Jerusalem with Jesus, uh, they had seen him die on the cross. And so they went home, and they prepared some ointments and spices to bring to the tomb. Uh, But they couldn't do it right away because the Sabbath was beginning. And so uh, they rested on the Sabbath, and they come here early Sunday morning uh, to the tomb of Jesus, bringing their spices. The other Gospels record that while they were headed there, they were wondering, uh, how are we going to get to the body? There's a huge stone rolled in front of the tomb. What are we going to do? How are we going to get in there? And so verse 2 says, uh, when they get to the tomb of Jesus, that they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So this is the first proof that Luke provides to Theophilus that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. I showed you this from last week, but here is the, a picture of what the tomb of Jesus looks like. Uh, you can go there today and you can see it and it is still empty. Uh, the reason that this is an important proof is think about how Christianity starts. In the book of Acts, Uh, The followers of Jesus begin to spread the news that Jesus has risen from the dead. When they do this, the Jewish leaders become very angry. They try to silence them. Now, if Jesus was still in the tomb, uh, these leaders could have simply shut up the Christians very quickly. They could have, uh, you know, just imagine Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he's preaching uh, to the crowds of people saying, Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and just imagine the religious leaders, they walk up and they say, hold on, everybody. Uh, this is a bunch of baloney. Come with me. We'll show you the body of Jesus over in the tomb. Uh, but they couldn't do that because the tomb was, in fact, empty. Jesus' body was nowhere to be found. Uh, by the way, in Matthew's account of these events, he includes something that happened the day Jesus was buried. Matthew twenty-seven sixty-two says, uh, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So we've got the tomb of Jesus. They roll a huge stone in front of the door, and they seal the stone shut. And then on top of that, they post soldiers uh, guarding the tomb just to make sure that there's no way the disciples can get in there and steal the body. 
And yet, even with all of that careful guarding, uh, the tomb is empty. Sunday morning comes and the body isn't there. Second proof of the resurrection is found in verse 4. It says these women, they're at the tomb. They can't find the body of Jesus. They're wondering what's going on. Verse 4 says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Speaking of angels, verse 5, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. So you have here the testimony of angels. Now, if you come to an empty tomb, uh, maybe there's explanations as to what happened. Uh, maybe it's possible that someone stole the body. Uh, maybe an earthquake somehow moved the rock and then animals got to the body or something. It's a little far-fetched, but it's possible. Uh, but when an angel is there telling you the tomb is empty because Jesus rose again, just like he said he would, uh, that pretty much settles it. And so these women are now convinced. They leave the tomb. They head back to the apostles, bringing this good news that Jesus has risen again. Verse 9 says, they returned, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Judas Iscariot, of course, no longer is a part of their group. And so you've got the twelve apostles now referred to as the eleven. Uh, verse 10 says it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Uh, they were understandably skeptical of this. They had seen Jesus die just a few days uh, previous to this. And now they're being told that he's risen back to life. And so they do not believe it. Uh, verse 12 says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. This brings us to the third proof of the resurrection that Luke provides us, and that is the skeptical eyewitnesses who were eventually convinced. Uh, these 11 apostles did not believe this report at first. They thought the women uh, were making it up. And so Peter goes to investigate, and he's still not sure what to think. Uh, he sees the empty tomb, and he's marveling about it. But then Jesus appears to them alive. Uh, many passages talk about this. We're going to jump down uh, to verse 36 of the chapter. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. At the end of the day, even with the empty tomb, the report of the angels saying that Jesus was risen again, these disciples were still skeptical. It wasn't until they saw Jesus alive that they were finally convinced. And even then, as we'll see in a minute, it took them a while to actually believe it and to process the fact that Jesus was truly alive. So the third proof of the resurrection is that Jesus is seen by eyewitnesses. Uh, after his death, after his resurrection, people saw him alive. And it's not just these 11 apostles of Jesus that saw him. It wasn't a one-time event uh, to a small group of people. No, rather, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people over the course of more than a month's time. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, Paul is saying here, 
that over 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive. And he adds there, most of these people are still alive, meaning uh, you can go talk to them. Uh, They will confirm that, yes, we saw the risen Jesus. These are eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Now, if you want to suggest that the disciples just made this up, or maybe they stole the body of Jesus and they started to just claim that he was risen again, uh, you've got a lot to explain. First of all, uh, do you think these disciples who all abandoned Jesus and denied knowing him when he was arrested, uh, suddenly they had the courage to fight off a Roman guard of soldiers that was assigned to guard the tomb of Jesus? Uh, And then what? They convinced 500 plus people to lie. I mean, imagine how hard that would be to pull off. You gather together uh, 500 of your closest friends uh, and you tell them, hey, everybody, uh, Peter Peter came up with this brilliant plan. Uh, We're going to start a new religion. We're going to tell everybody that Jesus is alive from the dead and that we saw him. Everybody cool with that? Uh, I mean, how hard would it be to convince that number of people to, to lie and to say that they were eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus? By the way, 10 of these remaining apostles ended up giving their lives for preaching the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. They believed this so firmly that they were willing to die for it. Now, maybe one of them could have been committed enough to the lie to die for it, but all of them? I don't think so. They suffered imprisonment, persecution, and death because they knew that Jesus was alive. They knew that it was true because they saw him. They saw the empty tomb. You can go there today and see it. They heard the account of the angels saying that Jesus was alive. And then they saw Jesus and they talked to him alive from the dead. And it's not like they just really wanted it to happen. So they convinced themselves that they saw him. Remember, they were highly skeptical at first. Uh, Remember doubting Thomas. Uh, Ten of the apostles see Jesus. Thomas isn't there uh, the first time that he shows up. And so Thomas, you know, they tell him, hey, we've seen Jesus. Thomas says, unless I see him myself, unless I can put my finger in the print of his nails, I will not believe. And then as he's speaking, Jesus shows up right next to him. And he says, hey, Thomas, I want to put your finger in my nail prints. I'm right here. And so even the most skeptical among them became absolutely convinced that Jesus was, in fact, risen from the dead. Next proof of the resurrection is in verse 37. We're kind of skipping ahead here. We're going to get into these more in a couple of weeks, but uh, just to point this out now, this is where Jesus appears to the apostles, and it says in verse 37, they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Now, this is understandable. They, they saw Jesus die, and so they're wondering, maybe this is just some sort of vision. Uh, you know, Jesus is somehow appearing to us, but he's not really uh, alive uh, fully physically again. But verse 38 says, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, And we're marveling. They're still not sure about this. He says to them, have you anything here to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. So just in case you're thinking, uh, maybe this is some sort of vision. Jesus is here in spirit form or something. Jesus says, touch me. I see the scars in my hands and in my feet. And by the way, do you have anything to eat? Uh, You might think the mention of the fish that Jesus ate there is just sort of a random note. Uh, But it isn't. Luke includes it on purpose to show us that Jesus was raised back to physical life. 
Uh, he wasn't a spirit floating around. He had a real body that could be seen and touched. Yes, Theophilus, Jesus really did perform miracles. Uh, yes, he taught throughout Israel. Yes, he was crucified on this day in this exact spot uh, with these rulers in, in government and power at the time. This is a fact of history that can be documented. And yes, he really did come back to life bodily, physically. Luke wants us to know with certainty that Jesus rose again, because if that is a fact of history, then it leads to huge implications. We're going to get into these really over the next couple of weeks. Today is an introduction to the resurrection. So if you're here for Easter, uh, it really doesn't count unless you come back the next two weeks, because then you'll get the whole story. Uh, but for today, let me just close by giving you a quick preview of where we're going to go. Uh, the implications of the fact that Jesus rose again. Number one, the resurrection means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that validates his claims to be God in human form. Uh, Paul begins his letter to the Romans with these words. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus was God's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, that he is God become human. Number two, Jesus' resurrection means that the death and resurrection of Jesus was God's plan. This was not an accident. If Jesus had stayed dead, then the cross would have been a crushing defeat. But since Jesus died and rose again, death has been defeated. And part of the implication of that is that we too will rise again. Because Jesus rose again, we know that we too will rise again. Paul makes this argument in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Number three, the resurrection of Jesus means our sin debt was paid on the cross. Uh, the resurrection is God's stamp of approval demonstrating that the payment that Jesus offered for our sins was accepted. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, a little earlier, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We aren't left in our sins because Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, we have hope of a life after death because Jesus was raised from the dead. And finally, number four, the resurrection of Jesus means that the kingdom of Christ has begun. That's going to be hard for me to hold off on this point because I'm excited to get into it, but this will be our focus in two weeks. Uh, but just to hint at it now, look at verse 46. Jesus says in Luke 24, 46, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. If Jesus is the king that he said he was, and the resurrection proves that he is, then our job is to submit to his lordship 
and advance his rule across the world. The certainty of the resurrection is the grounds of our hope, the proof of our salvation, and it becomes the catalyst for our evangelism. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Hope you'll come back as we continue studying this important event uh, in all of human history, the death and resurrection of Jesus.